0: Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. And Ben, before we start we need to make it very clear that this is not just for the Diocese of Sheffield today. We've Northern gone, province. Northern province. We've gone further afield, haven't we? We're in the beautiful
1: Bishop Fort Palace. Gorgeous, sunny day in York. We had yeah. a trip to the Minster early on. I think we had a quick walk. Train journey,
0: there. coffee. Doesn't get much better than Good that. Good brownie that, so. as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we travelled north, north to um, meet... Archbishop Stephen Cottrell. Very esteemed guest. It's good to have you with us. Very nice to be with you. I said that just as you were going to have your cup of tea then.
2: Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to have a slurp. You have a slurp. Way, have Yeah, a slurp. it'll pick it up on the microphone. I've got a bio to
0: introduce you with, so drink away. I
2: will.
1: So, Most Reverend and Right Honourable Stephen Cottrell, it's good to have you with us, Archbishop Thank you. of York. Thank you. I think if we start straight with um, Faith in the North, so it's a key initiative um, here and across the Northern Province, just tell us a bit, first of all, how did it come about and what you hope to achieve with it?
2: Well, um, First of all, yeah, great to be with you and great to be speaking to the Diocese of Sheffield and, and beyond. So when I became a few years ago the 98th Archbishop of York, crumbs. You, um, you kind of say to yourself, you know, Lord, why me? What, Why am I the, the Archbishop of York? What is it that I can bring to this? Um, and so the thing which we're now calling Faith in the North, you know, began simply as my way of making sense of what I could do across the North and for the Northern Province, Um, And the heart's desire of the whole of my ministry has been, how can we live the Christian faith joyfully, share it effectively in ways that connect with people's lives, and tell the big story of the Christian faith, which is a story that can change lives and change the world. And, uh, And so it's about revitalizing the faith of the North. It's celebrating the stories of the faith of the North. It's not a project. It's more like a movement, which I hope captures the imagination, which it's beginning to do. I think what's
1: fantastic as well, hearing that, is that obviously in our podcast, Words of Grace, we're sharing these faith stories
2: from all walks of life. And it sounds very much that that's what this project's aimed to do as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're, we're, we're thinking about, certainly here in York, it's the 1400th anniversary of the establishment of, you know, the See of York, the Bishop of York in 627 when Paul Linus came here. Of course, Christian faith was in the North before Paul Linus, but it's a key date. And it started off, so how are we going to celebrate that in 2027? And then we started to think about all the great faith stories of the North which have shaped us, not just in the past, but also today. And so we want to celebrate those stories, learn from those stories, and we want new stories. How can we help then? So as a diocese
1: of Sheffield, for example, other dioceses, individuals across the northern province, how can we help Sheffield? Yeah, so story?
2: there's three things we're looking at in particular. So in 2025, I'm going to be doing a tour of the north, with, and the idea is teach the north the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know, obviously, church people know the Lord's Prayer, but do we know what it means? Have we thought about what it means? A lot of people actually don't know it. So I shall be coming to Sheffield um, and coming to all the dioceses of the north, going to schools, visiting the cathedral, running training events to say the Lord's Prayer. It's the one prayer we all know, but do we know it? Um, Secondly, we're doing a lot of stuff on pilgrimage, learning about our Christian heritage and seeing how celebrating that today can be a pathway to faith for people who are not yet Christians. Uh, And We're mapping the whole of the north of England so that every church can find out about its faith story and its faith history. So that will be for Sheffield as much as anywhere else. And something which I know we can learn from Sheffield is we want to plant new Christian communities, maybe 3,000 new Christian communities across the north. Sheffield, I think, is probably further ahead than any other diocese in really thinking about this. Thank you for saying that. Well, it's true. So we can learn from you, but also we think here at Bishopthorpe, working across the north, we can add resource, add capacity, hopefully add a bit of inspiration and encouragement, because the danger is that we all in our diocese, just as in our parishes, work in our silos. We've got so much to learn from each other. And my dream is, wouldn't it be good if the... The dioceses and churches of the North. We became this great learning community um, about how we can share the faith and live the faith.
0: That was going to be one of my questions, really, because the, the North. I actually tested Ben yesterday on the how many dioceses there were and the names. Um, yeah, I, I I I checked beforehand. Um, and I just wondered how you felt that was going to work right across the north, because it's quite a disparate community in a lot of ways. We're, we're united under the umbrella of the Church of England, but you're going right across the Isle of Man and, and coming here. So how do you feel that's going to work moving yeah, across well, the north? Well, of course, the honest answer is
2: I don't know. But but so far, we, we had a soft launch of faith in the north in Dewsbury last October. I mean, it went really, really well. My fear is that it's going, oh, the archbishops had an idea, you know, you know we you know we better we better kind of you know fall into line tick the box and it'll just be another thing to do mm. but actually i think already it's not that It it seems to have captured imagination. I met with the directors of all the directors of education across the north just before Christmas. They're really excited about how this could unite them together in the work they're doing in church schools. I met all the deans of all the cathedrals. They're really excited about the idea of the Lord's Prayer Tour, which would not just be cathedrals, but cathedrals would be a main part of it. I'm meeting all the bishops of the north tomorrow. Oh um, hello. Um uh I mean I've met them before obviously but we're to talk specifically about this. So it is it feels to me like this might be the beginning of a movement rather than a project. Yeah. Uh and I think that's to the benefit of all of us. And actually there is something about the north um uh that I think is what will unite this together. I think it's interesting you
1: talk about the lords prone. Again, as you say, most Christians would be able to memorize it. I think, ironically, a lot of non-Christians would be able to as well. But as you've said, it's do, do they actually think about what it means? Do you think that's a challenge to try and get that message across to non-Christians as well?
2: Yeah, it is. My hunch is that, that the Lord's Prayer, evangelistically, could be a really, really useful way in. Because it is still, if anybody knows a prayer, it's the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people actually
0: don't know it. And it would be a generational thing as well, would yeah. you think that, you know, our generation yeah, would have we'll, said we'll much more at school than perhaps. Yeah. So, so for schools which are not church schools,
2: I think it's a way in, because actually you can make a very compelling case for saying, actually, just culturally, you know, off the back of the coronation and the Queen's funeral, actually, actually knowing this prayer would be a useful thing for people to know. So here's some resources to help you teach it. Certainly within our church schools, it's, so what does it actually mean? And, um, and when you do stop to think what it means, I mean, let me just give you one example. Give us today our daily bread. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm sorry to spoil your podcast, but I think it means give me, Lord, enough for today and stop me from wanting more than my share. Give me enough. Now, that is a really radical, dangerous thing to say. It, it cuts across everything. Everything, economically, it's an election year, probably, everything our country is built upon. Everything is built upon growth. We must have more. We know that the planet is being destroyed by economic systems, which are all about (coughs) growth and having more, and yet we Christians say this prayer every day. Do we mean it? Do we believe it? When we actually say, no, Lord, I don't want more. I want you to teach me what enough looks like. Give me my daily bread. So this is dangerous stuff. Um, but I think it has a resonance with the big issues that face our world. So actually, in teaching about the Lord's prayer, it's the prayer Jesus taught us, but it's clever because we think Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Jesus is actually teaching us how to live. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me well, of Jesus, when he says, you know, there are enough problems today, don't worry about tomorrow. It almost listen yeah. to what he says. Yeah, it though. is. Uh, which of course Comes from the same bit of the Bible, yeah. you know, the, the Lord's Prayer. Well, it's in Luke and
0: Matthew, but in Matthew, it's in in the Sermon on the Mount. Because yeah. we, th- this country's obsessed by growth, isn't it? I, yeah. I was talking to Ben about this on the way up about donor economics with Kate Roweth. I don't know if you have ever read that book. I haven't, but, but I the, it, know, yeah. it, it, it's it's a fantastic book. Of actually, growth should not be the issue here. It's sustainability. It's the wholeness of society, economics, mm-hmm. the poverty gap, and all that sort of stuff has to be tied in together. And undoubtedly, the gospel calls us to a radical approach to that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it seems
2: to me that if, you know, I mean, the bar of my expectations are set high. Um, I believe, not when I say my job, but my role as a servant to the Church of the North is to help the Church in the North evangelise the nation. That's that's the work of the Church. Um, And I believe the best way we will evangelise the nation is on the one hand, one heart at a time, to inspire and encourage and invite people to know Jesus, but at the same time to present a narrative which is about how do we inhabit the world? How how are we meant to live? And, and actually the Lord's Prayer is the text I then want to go to because it talks about, um, well, not, not my kingdom come, but God's kingdom come. And of course most of us, if we're honest, what we want is my kingdom so so this could be a doorway in and a very accessible doorway in to speaking about the big ideas that shape our world
1: probably a very broad question this but again talking about faith in the north what do you think some of the main challenges are for the northern province as a whole what are some of the main needs that you think dioceses across the north have
2: yeah well I mean we all you know we all as diocese face huge huge financial challenges I think almost without exception uh and uh, we face issues, I'm not actually depressed about the decline, oh, well, obviously I wish it wasn't there, but overall the Church of England in all of our dioceses is, is still declining and has been for some time, but if your congregation stays the same each year, that means there is, is growth, because we know there's people dying, So, uh, and there are churches, lots of churches growing, So if every church was declining, I think I would be very depressed. But I know that there are lots of churches flourishing and growing, lots of churches just sustaining their numbers, which means there is growth. So I'm not depressed. I feel what we need to do is learn from the places that are flourishing and growing, link them up, make a big learning community across our diocese, Uh, provide resource and capacity which faith in the north will do in a you know in a modest way will be providing resource and capacity for the whole of the church across the north so that more churches can grow my experience is that when you actually sit down and talk to people about the christian faith the big ideas of the christian faith the beauty of the gospel the person of jesus the human heart skips a beat in joy um but we need to be much more focused on that and the, and I think what, what concerns me is the day-to-day keeping the show on the road, the financial challenge and all of those things, internal divisions um, which are, you know, you know, I'm not suggesting they're not important, but they are consuming attention. Uh, there is a world out there for which Christ died and that's where we need to put our focus.
0: When you were talking earlier about uh, a number of churches being planted, is it Mark powley involved in that yeah. sort of stuff? So, um, how does that sort of fit in with the idea of parish as well? Because there's always been that sort of tension between resourcing and, and grafting and planting and parish. There's yeah. so there is already a parish system. So, how does it work alongside that? Do you feel.
2: Yeah, so I I think one of the big challenges, and this comes out of the Church of England's national vision and strategy, is that it's helpful for us to think about what I'm going to call the whole ecosystem of the Church, which has always been the case. This isn't a new... We may not have used that language before. There's nothing new about this. So although we have maintained a parish system which has served every inch of the nation for many centuries alongside that there has always been another bit of ministry called chaplaincy, schools, hospitals, armed forces, prisons, which is not parish. So it actually isn't a radical thing to say, pay attention to the whole ecosystem, especially in a culture which exists in networks just as much as it does in neighbourhoods. So this is not a threat to the parish system. It is saying, pay attention to the whole ecosystem and of course where do chaplains and church plants come from what's well, usually parishes so the parish will remain i think for you know the the fundamental building bro- block of church but from that we need many different expressions of church yeah that's fantastic
0: that's a great answer.
1: you mentioned um earlier on about touring dioceses and seeing more of them um in the north you, of course, visited the Diocese Sheffield last summer. Um, you were very patient with me. I was sort of in the background taking lots of photos. Um, what were your impressions of what you saw throughout that whole weekend? Yeah,
2: well, I, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed my, my visit to the Sheffield Diocese. And I have to say, I hold your bishop, Pete, in high regard, Um He's in Melbourne at the moment. I know he is, lucky fellow. Yeah, I know. Uh, I saw him right at the beginning of the year. I saw him uh, just before he set off. And, you know, he, he's he got a sabbatical at the moment. Uh, and that's a great gift, which which all stipendary clergy receive every 10 years. And, and we all need that time aside to, to refresh and recharge. Um, but I do believe that the Sheffield Diocese is really... You haven't got all the answers. You haven't solved all the problems. But I, what I see in Sheffield is a diocese that's asking the right questions, not ducking them. I, I, so, sometimes I think the Church of England, I won't name anyone in particular, but sometimes I think, and probably myself included, sometimes someone's like, you've either got your head in the sand or your head in the clouds, you know, either denying the reality or, or you know, or pretending it's all going to be OK. But actually facing, I think the first responsibility of leadership is to face the reality, and ask that ask the right question that's what i see sheffield doing and coming up with some really interesting ideas which may work or may not work um and so i believe i've got a lot to learn from the diocese of sheffield i loved sitting down with the church planters across the diocese of all traditions um i was really inspired by what's happening in your cathedral i loved your dean and what she's doing Mm. Bishop Sophie and Bishop Peter inspirational figures. I'm sure you've got your problems. Well, I know you have, but but yeah, I, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. It was it was fantastic, um,
1: a fantastic trip as well. Cause I think it was very affirming as well. It was great to see you meet different people from the diocese. But also the way the weekend was planned, you were meeting people across traditions, across different backgrounds. I think yeah. that was a
2: real privilege to, to It was. See. And there was that there was that amazing I can't remember the name of the village now. There was an amazing thing on the Saturday afternoon where we blessed the war memorial. I mean, it was it, this was kind of like really ordinary bread-and-butter parish life. But the whole village, it seemed like the whole village had turned out. Certainly there was a lot of people there on quite a hot afternoon. Um, and I thought, yeah, this is the Church of England doing its stuff at a very local level. And it's easy to knock the Church of England. There's lots about us, which is, you know, a bit strange and a bit wonky. But it's a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle that in every community... There's a Christian presence um, and a church doing its stuff. And I remember you sort of finished the touring. <laughs> I'm going to. St- <laughs> my phone is throbbing. Can we just check that it's not your wife? No, it's okay. not. No, That's it's, okay. not, it, it's not. It's not important. Though. It's not the Archbishop of Canterbury. Well, I would have put that it, second to your it, wife, actually, it, but I, I couldn't possibly it, it, say It was that. actually a bishop, but, a, but they'll, okay. re, they'll remain nameless. If it was Justin right. Welby... <laughs>
0: wasn't the Bishop of Sheffield. <laughs> we, um, <laughs> if it was Justin Welby, you we could have invited them onto the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> He's next, yeah. our next yeah. target. Yeah. I think it'd be really great if we could just go back to your journey. Yeah. So that young lad, I quite often do this, of the young lad in Leon C., and we're sat in this beautiful building. We're talking about this huge yeah. uh, um, Church of England—not project, but you know, this whole yeah. idea and the, that we've got at the moment. The young lad in Leon C. Faith journey started about when? So I—I I wasn't brought up
2: going to church. No. So I don't come from a church-going family. Uh, I was baptised. You know, my parents were part of that generation that there was enough faith inside them they'd been church people to get us all baptized but to the best of my knowledge it was my one and only trip to church during childhood you know, it might have been family weddings and things uh it's quite my journey is quite a long one you'll need to you know you'll need to do a serialization in 26 episodes to get the whole story we're available but for the that. very yeah. the very short version of the very long story is first of all the girl guides my sister joined the girl guides um uh required to go to church parade services liked what she found with a small group of friends started going along on the other sundays in between got confirmed there was a girl i quite fancied who went to the church youth group and all sorts of very ordinary things as a as a age 12 13 14 started drawing me in to the life of the church like many children i'd always believed in god but unformed um uh and so I got drawn into the orbit of the church and a number of other things were happening which you know I won't go into all the details of it but but I'm a kind of all or nothing person so I can't separate out going to church becoming a Christian feeling a vocation to ordination in my teenage years with a great long wrestling arm wrestling match with God that I thought I was winning um uh I found myself at a place where, like Peter, I was
0: saying, "Where else can I go?" It's interesting that, isn't it? Because that must inform the way we look at the, what we've talked about now—not declining numbers, but the growth of the church going forward. And it's interesting that you use the word "ordinary," yeah. because one of the things I think we've discovered during the podcast of talking to people faith journey that no faith journey is ordinary, is it? And I know you didn't no. mean that. No, I no, mean to say, no, it, I didn't mean it's it's in that. Not, sense. It's God drawing us in yeah. in some way, so, isn't it? So.
2: So the bit of the journey, perhaps I will say, which is the bit that happened years later. So when I was ordained, on the, the day... You know in your family you have these people you call auntie and uncle, but they're not really your auntie. and uncle. So in my family, my auntie Millie, important person in my childhood, she was my grandma's best friend, she was a devout Roman Catholic. When I was ordained as a deacon in the Church of England, obviously, she came to the service, which for her as a certain sort of old-school Roman Catholic. She probably wrote to the Pope... To get permission to attend a non-roman catholic church anyway she was there she was pleased for me at the sort of bum fight afterwards she said to me um that she had prayed for the conversion of my family every day of her, her my grandma her best friend's family she prayed for our conversion every. T- she went to mass every day and when she told me this um my whole faith journey then was cast in a different light. I thought it was all about decisions I'd made. I'd decided to do this. I'd decided to do that. And then I discovered even before I was born, my auntie Millie was praying for me. Um, Now, of course, she would have quite liked us to have been Roman Catholics. So um, I think on that day, she conceded Church of England was an acceptable second best. Mm -hmm. But I was prayed for. And I think, you know, so why am I here? Why am I a follower of Jesus?
0: I think a very large part of my story is my Auntie Millie's prayers. Yeah, We've discussed this before. My nan uh, was born in a Welsh mining village, and she tells stories of the Welsh revivals, as we've discussed before, of the miners coming up through the pit heads singing hymns, where weeks before they'd been going straight to the pub, they now went straight into the chapel. Mm. And that skipped a generation almost. And the day I was baptised in my 20s, my nan came to me in tears. Just, yeah yeah to say exactly that she would prayed for me all, yeah. all my so life so it's so yeah so it's never ordinary that, that that
2: that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ it is a profound and beautiful mystery we just take off our shoes we can't make it happen it's the work of god it's the response of the human heart but it's the work of god i think for me it was a long journey um uh and uh, but i can still just about remember and my whole family came to church as well you know so it wasn't just me it was the, the whole family Um, my parents returned to faith. Um, But I can still just about remember what it's like not to be part of the church. And I've always felt that gives me a bit of an edge because so many, you know, so many, you know, nothing, your story is your story, but so many people were brought up in the church and have continued in the church. Uh, I know what it's like not to be a member. Does it help as well
1: in a sort of approachable way because... We could perhaps have this stereotype in the head if you're an archbishop that you yeah, yeah. were part of a faith background straight away from birth. But the fact you were and it sort of encourages other
2: people. Yeah, some people. Yeah. I mean, I found as archbishop, people make all kinds of assumptions um, uh, and we all are who we are. So I, I mean, no, you know, I don't mean, it, you know, people people assume, you know, people assume that you went to public school or they assume yeah. you went to uh, Oxford or university. Um, you know, I don't even have a degree in theology. So they assume you, you, um, you know, they make all these assumptions, but my journey has been a different journey. And ordination, when did you first take that step and think, yes, I do want to. Well, as I I say, that's probably when I was 15, but I didn't tell anybody. Um, and I thought it's something that, you know, I felt that sense of cool and thought it's something I'll do when I'm older. I did do it when I was older, but it was when I was 22, um, uh. Because in the end, I I was ordained. When I was, you know I've never had a proper job. You know I'm just a jobbing vicar. Um, <laughs> uh, and That's uh, going in the uh, bio. <laughs> on, <laughs> the of- yeah. Um, uh, in I uh, say I'm an all or nothing person. So there was a there was a moment when I just thought I've got to do something about this. I I've got to do something, and so I did. Um, and it happened, it was, the, it was, I'm not suggesting it's a Damascus Road thing, because I was already part of the church, although wrestling with it, always wrestling with it. Um, and I remember I was going for a job, I worked in the film industry for a short while before I was ordained. Um, uh, that's the world I thought I would be working and living in. And I went for, and it's like being, a, you're freelance really. So you go for lots of interviews for different jobs. So I was going for an interview and I was literally standing outside the door about to knock on the door to go in for the interview. And I thought, this isn't what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I just turned around and walked away. Went to see my parish priest. Um, and sorry, my phone's dropping again. I'm it's really Justin Welby again. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, it's um, fine. Uh, and, um, to, no, no. It's, it's an it's, Amazon it, parcel no, no, that it, hasn't it, arrived. It's creating a nice... Yeah. Sub-theme for the interview. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, went to see my parish priest. The following week, I started work at St. Christopher's Hospice um, uh, and went through the selection process for ordination. So in the end, it all happened very, very quickly.
1: Well, again, one thing we've said when we've had Bishop P and Bishop Safe on the podcast is, you know, is, is there a calling to be a bishop? Is there a calling to be an archbishop? How did you go through that journey from deacon, priest, bishop?
2: Yeah, archbishop? I mean, there is, I mean, I hope there is a calling, but, but I think it is not so much different. But I, I felt, so what is the fundamental calling? The fundamental calling is to follow Jesus Christ, to be a disciple. Then God does call some of us to particular positions of leadership and oversight in the church. And I felt a very strong calling to be a priest. Um, uh, my understanding of what it means to be a priest has evolved and changed over the years, but that was the strong calling, and I thought I would live that out in a local community, but I very quickly as a priest discovered what I've described as a call within a call, and that call wasn't to be a bishop, but it was to be an evangelist, Um, and and that happened when I became an incumbent, when I suddenly found myself in a church where my wife was the youngest person, in the congregation I was the second youngest then there was quite a gap and I thought hey they've trained me to be a vicar of a parish but actually this parish you know, this congregation is you know, good people but it's going to be dead in 10 years uh, so actually being a vicar in the way I'd been trained pastoring them and teaching them was you know that wasn't the job the job as I in the language I used was my job isn't to be the vicar as I've been trained it's to be a missionary a missionary in this parish because all these people who don't go to church So I did a major rethink of what I understood ministry to be in my incumbency, and as a consequence of that, found myself getting invited into other spaces. You know, that church was blessed, people came to faith. You know, my final Sunday, first Sunday, no children at all. Final Sunday, you know, 40, 50 kids and a youth group and all the rest of it. So it was wonderful, and I still draw from the well of that renewal and growth. Um, But I then got called into spaces where to teach and to encourage, to speak as an evangelist, to lead missions. I led a lot, I've led a lot of missions up and down the country as a younger priest. I, I now see that as what I would call rather pompously an apostolic call. Mm. Um, and, of course, what is the heart of Episcopal ministry, it is, it is an apostolic calling. Um, there's lots about being a bishop I don't think I'm very good at um, and I struggle with but I believe the heart of, a, of the Episcopal call is to be chief pastor and chief evangelist. So I try to take very seriously my responsibility to care, particularly for the clergy, but to care for the church and to proclaim the gospel. Um, so, so yes, I do feel called to be a bishop, but it still came as a bit of a surprise when it happened because you don't apply, you know, you just get a call one day. And that, and that calling to the north as
1: well, when did you first feel that? Well, about?
2: I, I, my job as a priest, like many priests, was quite nomadic. So I am a southerner and I was, I was ordained and served in South London, a vicar in Chichester, in the deep south, a council estate parish, actually, you know, even Chichester has a council estate. Um, they keep it well hidden but it does exist <laughs> um and uh, and then uh I moved north to Huddersfield and I was in Huddersfield for nine years working as diocesan missioner so this one, I've been called into a different space a different type of ministry but rooted in a church in Huddersfield in uh, St Thomas's longroyd bridge um so uh so that was my first living in the north and I came with great trepidation as a southerner but the north got inside me, particularly actually the landscape. When I moved from there to Peterborough, which is very flat, and I thought, God, I miss these hills. Um, so uh, so anyway, there, then other, other Episcopal jobs in the Church of England, and then amazingly, you know, it's called to be Archbishop of York, a humbling joy, and for me also, it has been, you know, truly good to return to the north.
1: And what are the practicalities of that like? So when you when you sort of introduce as the Archbishop of York, what, what's the process of that in terms of um, practicalities? That,
2: that, well, the appointment, all... you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, bishop diocesan bishops and therefore archbishops are, are what's called a crown appointment. There's not literally the crown. There's a thing called the Crown Nominations Commission, which is an elected body. In this case, the representatives from the York Diocese, representatives from the National Church... For archbishops, an independent chair, the the Archbishop of Canterbury, a another bishop from the north, and that commission is basically, I mean, in in sort of layman's terms, it's a search committee or a or a headhunting committee, and actually, the first you know that you're being considered is when you get a phone call, um, uh, to say. The Crown Nominations Commission, this is their euphemism for interview, the Crown Nominations Commission would
0: like to meet you. Yeah. (laughs) We discussed with Bishop Pete, because he's recently gone to the House of Lords, Yeah. uh, and that intersection of of faith and state, um, we we discussed the practicality. Ben brought up, is there a WhatsApp group for the bishops, which there was. Of course there is. Of course there (laughs) there is. I think there were a number of WhatsApp groups. We didn't have access to which group he was particularly in. But how do you see that role then as, as quite a high-profile faith role and that relationship with yeah. the state and all the pageantry around the House of Lords and so on? What, How do you feel and where do you sit in that space? So I, I
2: was the Bishop of Chelmsford before yes, coming right. So I've been in the House of Lords for over 10 years now. So, uh, uh, so I was used to navigating my way through that. Um, uh, and it is, on the one hand, a huge honour, privilege and opportunity to have that voice in, 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 in our Parliament, uh, it can also be very seductive. Um, and sometimes I feel, again, not naming any names, I think sometimes perhaps bishops spend too much time in the House of Lords. I, I sometimes think I probably don't spend enough time. Uh, and I think getting it right is quite a challenge. But we are the established church, we are the national church. I think it's something very precious about the ecosystem of our government that the voice of faith through the Church of England is in government, not acting as a political party, but as a kind of conscience, ethical voice, spiritual voice for the nation. And on the whole, I enjoy being part of that, but balancing it with other responsibilities, I think is something all bishops uh, struggle with. It's almost taken on a new positive role in terms of how it's perceived, I think, as well, the laws,
1: because obviously... Politics has become a lot more fractious in the Commons recently. Do you think the Lords is seen as more of a
2: mediating force? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't... Well, perhaps I didn't before I went in. I don't want to sound patronising. What is the House of Lords for? So the House of Lords' main work is to scrutinise and amend. And I think once you understand that, you know, people say, you know, why are these unelected people being there? Well, uh, our job isn't to set the agenda uh, of the political... Uh, narrative but to scrutinize and amend those who do so it's a different function um and therefore i think you can justify saying therefore the way in which people participate in that is a different route um so uh the house of lords is not like the house of commons there is a much greater desire to work together to seek consensus to listen to different voices it's on the whole a much more civilized place but yeah of course you know there are also political parties there and so sometimes you get all of that the bishops you
0: know we try to offer a different kind of voice and it's probably important that we don't diminish the role of the lords in in by making it appointments coming in that that aren't justified you, you, you the the bishops sit there because the bishops sit there and bring that different voice and that's a really yeah, important yeah i mean i think i think again this might be a subject for another podcast but
2: i think uh I think the house of lords does need reforming. I'm yeah. I'm one of those who's in favour of reform. I think it'll be a relatively light touch reform. Um uh but uh, it, it does need it in my view and I still think there will be a place for the for the bishops in it in a reformed house. Whether any government has the stomach to make that reform, I don't see it happening anytime soon. That would make for another good uh, podcast <laughs> special that one, yeah. I think. Yeah.
0: That's a spin off. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um
1: and the history—it must be overwhelming as well, not just in the Lords, but here in Bishopthorpe Palace as well. Do you
2: do you feel that sense of history on your shoulders? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do. We'll the like old Tony Blair on us, yeah, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it. Can, am I daunted by it? I don't think so. Does it feel daunting now and again? Yes, it really does. Um, when I became, when I knew I was going to be the ninety-eighth Archbishop, I thought there must be a book about archbishops of York. There is, so I bought a copy of this book, out of print, but I managed to get one secondhand. Um, I read it, and I was, it was really dull. Honest response. And, consequently, I found it hugely encouraging. Hugely <laughs> encouraging. Because when I read about all the others, what I discovered was there were a few saints, you know, some truly, truly great, I mean, they've all been men up till now, uh, you know, at the moment, that will change, some great men, truly great men, who's had a big impact in the church and the nation. A few. There's been a few rogues. But most of them were just, you know, ordinary faithful men who who faithfully did their best. And that's what I found so encouraging. I thought, I'm going to try not to be a rogue, but I know I'm not going to be one of the great saints. But I can be doggedly, joyfully faithful in my responsibilities and when the history books are written, there'll just be a couple of paragraphs. <laughs> and that's OK. It doesn't matter. You know What matters is the gospel. What matters is the kingdom. What matters is Christ. And that's what I saw in these men's lives. Um, and I thought, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Um, so I look at all the portraits that hang in Bishop Thorpe Palace. Occasionally, as it were, kneel before the great saint, William Temple. Mm. What a great man. Mm. Um, and others. But most of them I think, yeah, you were probably just like me, thinking, you know, what the places
0: have I got myself into here? I'm not equal to the task. Lord, you're going to have to do this for me. And that brings us almost back to where we started with your role in Faith in the North, of trying to impress upon a society that in some ways is turning its back on, on the faith and the gospel and the joy and hope that that brings, trying to resurrect that and warm that back up in this space. It is. The big danger is that we turn in on ourselves
2: that we pull up the drawbridge. The world is scary, frightening, yeah. not with us. Let's retreat into fortress Church um, and uh, and warm ourselves by the fire of our faith. No, let that fire burn within you. Open the doors, get out into the world, serve, serve your local community. So the first word of the gospel is loving service and God will open doors of opportunity for us to witness and proclaim and I believe the church will grow, though it may not grow in the ways we expect. So I want to ask quickly. Um, you talked earlier on about the
1: pageantry of such occasions as, you know, the coronation recently, yeah, um, the Queen's funeral. The process behind those events can that be daunting? as a lot that goes into that? Oh yes, I mean
2: that is seriously weird, um, uh, if, if, <laughs> especially for me. Um, you know, so so for the last. 18 months my left arm has been permanently bruised as I keep on pinching myself Stephen you're the Archbishop of York and now you are burying the Queen or at least taking part in the service to bury the Queen to crown the King um, you are signing the documents at the accession council that declare Charles is the rightful King and heir you know these are astonishing bits of history and and you are part of it um, that has been joyful, humbling, you know, often very strange, but but very beautiful. Uh, and you know, archbishops come and go, but it has been on my watch that these astonishing bits of history have taken part. All I try to do is to to, to do my job faithfully, to do to do what has to be done, but also uh, to, I don't know, in communicating about it. Both in the media and with ordinary people, to try to tell the Christian story through it, and just to be a human voice and a human face in the midst of it. That's fascinating. That's, That's a really good insight. Yeah, it's been an incredible
1: chat. We've had such a good oversight yeah. of what you do. I think it's fantastic. Let's go on to more weighty matters now. Tom yeah. Hotspur.
2: Indeed, yes. Tom Hotspur. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, lifelong fan. Yeah, yeah, I am. So my granddad uh, took me to White Hart Lane when I was six or seven years old. Uh, he was a lifelong Spurs fan and so I am and it's a I mean football allegiance as I think probably you know is you know it's a bit like when you when people say why are you a Spurs fan I feel it's a bit like say why are your eyes blue yeah. well you know they just are ah, <laughs> you know that's this is, I don't feel there's any choice in the matter it's you know it's I am a Spurs fan you know because that's just part of who I am um do I always like being a Spurs fan? No, it's deeply from actually it's good at the moment. Yeah. Posta Coglu, they're going to call it Spursy. Poster Coglu has been very good news. It, what it was, wasn't it? I mean, recent years, everybody wanted Klopp to be their manager. Um, right now, I think everybody wants Posta Coglu. He's 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 been a he's been great. So, being a Spurs fan is good at the moment. But the point about being a football fan is, you don't really feel you have a choice about it. Often, it's not good, but you but you don't change your mind. Especially with Derby County. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. I have oh, met yeah. Dave McKay, though, when I was younger, who ah, was a Tottenham yeah, and Derby yeah, legend. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I've got Dave McKay's autograph. So my granddad bequeathed to me his autograph collection. So I've got, got you know, Alan Muller. I've got Alan Muller's aut- autograph. Yeah. Danny Blancheflower. Uh, Danny Blanchflower. I've got yeah. Danny Blancheflowers. Um, yeah, so, uh, so this is great. Um, but yes, I used to say, I, I'm a Spurs fan. I know about suffering. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the moment, it's pretty good. Yeah. Can you get to games? And obviously, you're no, very busy, not so not very often. No, not very often. You so, got a box as archbishop? No, 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 no. Hopefully,
0: hopefully, this... I to Archbishop Canterbury's got a it, box. If you, if
2: you could send a copy of the podcast to Daniel Levy, then that might. Yeah, we can try. Come He's on, the yeah. way. <laughs> you, <laughs> you
0: didn't say very much. A friend of a podcast, then yeah, you did yeah. very much a friend of but, the
2: podcast. But the other so. thing with football, which I have done. You might think I'm terribly flaky. Here is, you know, I've got, I've got, I'm a father of three sons, and uh, we've led this nomadic life. So what? And, and getting to Premiership games is expensive and difficult, especially if you're a vicar bringing up three kids on the stipend, which I was 20 years ago. Um, so we've always supported our local team as well, mm. um, and because our local teams were usually in lower divisions, there was never a kind of clash of interests. So at various points in my life, you know, I've been actually a very committed follower of Huddersfield Town, probably more than any other, because mm-hmm. the boys were, you know, in their kind of, you know, small boys when we lived in Huddersfield. And we went to Huddersfield Town a lot. But also we've, you know, I've been, I've been a Peterborough fan. I was Bishop of Reading. Um, at the time, Reading went into the Premiership, and we, then there was a clash of interests. We watched Reading play Spurs, and I had to, uh, had to be careful. I didn't cheer too loudly when Spurs scored um so uh so we followed our local
0: teams and, and actually that's been really good lower league football is very yeah it's a it's a micro it's a microcosm of the world in low league football. it is it is and um, and i mean huddersfield town has got a
2: great ground and a great following you know they they were a great club to follow and i i still kind of often find myself looking for their results yeah
1: we're going to ask jermaine Defoe or robbie Keane.
2: ah friends Yes, probably Jermaine Defoe, but my, you see, I'm old, so, you know, my Spurs heroes, you know, go further back, so Glenn Hoddle, probably more than anybody, what a player, yes. I mean, obviously, Gascoigne was great for Spurs, but I sort of reach back further, so, you know, my big childhood memory is Spurs beating Chelsea in the Cup final in 1967, so that's Martin Chivers, yeah. um, Alan Mullery, yeah. um, Jimmy Greaves? Well, Jimmy Grew's further back. He Earlier didn't. He, that, he, yeah. did, he didn't play in that team, but obviously he was the great.
0: Chivers never got many caps for England, either, no, did No, he didn't. They? No, he didn't.
2: He yeah. didn't. No, no. Um, so they were that. They were the players that I really remember and and think about. And it, and I joke with my sons about it. You know, when the, you know everyone, you know there's pub conversations about you know the, the all time great teams. And I always say to them, well, obviously, you know. A non-controversial first pick would be Pat Jennings in goal, obviously. Yes. Right, Joking, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then it would be, you know,
0: Danny Blanchflower, obviously. Jimmy Greaves, obviously. <laughs> so we also have talk about books, and I, I know um, you've written a number of books yourself. Yeah. Um, but you've got a new book coming out, and you yeah. are allowed to mention. Yeah. This. So yeah, comes out this
2: month. Uh, so P is for Pilgrim. Uh, it's. uh it's an A to Z of the Christian faith for people aged nine to 90. Mm. I thought, I had this idea for this book and I thought, this is this cannot be an original idea. Somebody must have written this book. But I did some research and found, well, nobody had. There were, there were some quite weighty tomes of that sort of encyclopedia of the Christian faith type approach. I could find A to Z of biblical characters, you know, A is yeah, for yeah, Adam, yeah. B is for Bathsheba. Yeah. I could find those. But I couldn't find... An A to Z of the Christian faith. And the book is, I'm a bit anxious about it, to be honest, because the book is, it it really takes on the big concepts, the big words of the Christian faith. So let me give you an example. R is for reconciliation. S is for sacrament. T is for trinity. These are big words. Mm. But my feeling is that if you're going to be a Christian, sooner or later you need to encounter these big words and big I is for incarnation. These are big ideas. You can't bypass them. So, you know, children at some point have got to come across these words. So I thought, can I write a book that a child could read, um, but also an adult could read and not feel patronised by, and families could keep on your bookshelf, and schools would keep in their library, and churches would maybe keep at the back of church, so that as these words come up, you've got a book you can turn to which gives you just, just a paragraph, but I, I do wonder whether the story of the book is going to be you know the book re- the headline of the book review will be the Archbishop of York H is for heretic because because <laughs> D has got g- down yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah because because I've dared to write a paragraph on the yeah. Trinity a paragraph on the incarnation and obviously I believe I'm being faithful to the Christian tradition but I've no doubt somebody will say well just as we thought you know the Archbishop of York's you know look what he said about. But I'm hopefully most people will say, actually, this is a really useful resource, and
0: it's surprising that nobody's done it before. But when we were when we were evangelizing, when we were growing up, sort of, it was the idea of you've got to be able to trim the gospel down to make it accessible to people yeah. as well, haven't you? You've got to be able to put your testimony. There's yeah. no point listening to testimony that takes twenty-five minutes because yeah. people are gone. You've got to yeah. have that succinct moment of the gospel yeah. as well as. The thing that we're lifelong learning exactly and this this just to be clear this is not an
2: evangel. i've written lots of books which are meant to evangelize this is not an evangelistic book it's a catechetical book but it's but it's for families see for catechical yeah yeah so it's you know i think on the blurb it says 9 to 90 that you could and the illustrations are it's very beautifully illustrated and, and it's done cleverly because i think children will enjoy the pictures but a, but an adult wouldn't feel they're reading a children's book. It's got more of that gift booky feel to it. So the publishers have done a great job. And I just, you know, I just think it would be... I just think when I was a dad with my kids growing up, a book like this would have been useful. Just quickly for me, just before we finish. Um,
1: in terms of music, do you have any favourite bands, any oh, genres? Yeah, oh
2: dear me, how a big subject. So yes, uh, yes, very definitely. So I have an eclectic taste in music. You know, on on our team call this morning, I said to my PA, Could you please make sure nothing goes in the diary for this particular? Cause I said, Because I've got tickets for the opera to see Madam Butterfly. I love the opera. I shall sit and blub and weep. But equally, I was trying to get tickets, but failed for Bruce Springsteen when he comes yeah. this year.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, couldn't get tickets for that. And. Uh, well,
0: if anybody's listening from uh, Bruce's PA team at the moment, the Archbishop of York would like a ticket. Yeah, yeah, as well as a boxer for Spurs. um
2: and uh, but so the Doors, the cla The first date I took my wife on was to see the Clash. At Interesting the last first him. date. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a make or break. It's a make yeah, or break. break right. yeah, this is- so I was yeah. a massive Clash fan. Yeah. Um, you know, I moved to London in 1976 as a student yeah. when punk was just happening. I embraced it fully. I've seen the Clash. I don't know how many times. I followed them around London. Um, the Doors, Velvet Underground, Dylan. But uh, but then also Chopin. You know, I, I often listen to... I love Chopin's piano music, the Nocturnes. Mm. So I have a weird... Uh, music is a huge, important part of my life. That's a great mix, though. That's a, yeah, really, a really good mix. mix. It's a weird mix. Yeah, it's a fantastic mix, yeah.
0: Modern music as well. I get my kids to keep me on board,
2: Yeah, board yeah, because music. my kids are that bit older. They're all in their late... You know, they've all left home. I'm a granddad now. I've got two grandchildren. So when they were when they were still living at home, but, uh, but teenagers, then I, st- so I started getting into rap and hip hop, <laughs> which, and that was entirely through my kids. Yeah. And I, and I, it was almost like a secret love because I thought, I can't admit that I'd borrow, because this was age of CDs, I'd borrow their CDs. I can hear you coming and up the drive So I really, I really like Eminem. I think oh, lyrically, well. yeah, lyrically, I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal and it's harsh and it's not for the faint hearted, but, he's very he's such a wordsmith Mm. and i really enjoyed listening to that but also other thing radiohead you know and other stuff my kids listen to but but now i think i'm a bit out of touch with 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 that contemporary
0: music scene. yeah so what my kids do is they they make spotify playlists for me yeah i must ask them to do that i think i'm out of touch as well though as a millennial yeah
2: Yeah, but i but i reach back you know i suppose like all old men you know i kind of reach back particularly to dylan yeah. yeah, the things which I think I will always listen to and perhaps on my deathbed will be Dylan or Chopin. Probably Chopin will win.
1: It's been an amazing time on the podcast. We've covered so many topics today. It's been a real
0: joy to come in and a privilege to speak to you. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, on. thank you. And God bless the Diocese of Sheffield. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, um, it's been a great day. We're going to go back on the train to Sheffield. Uh, as ever, uh, if you want to get in touch, words of grace at sheffield.anglican.org. Uh, We've got a great uh, few guests coming up. We're heading towards an Easter special, more details of which will come out shortly. Indeed. uh, Thank you so much, Archbishop Stephen, for having us. Uh, Thanks to your team. And see you soon, then. See you next time. Thanks, Bye.